Hello and welcome to Taking Social Stock. This is episode 17. Taking Social Stock is a weekly show hosted by me, Andrew. And me, Heather. It's the start of a new year, Heather. Yeah, I can't believe we're already more than a week in. No, a weekend, rough about. Yep. And we mentioned in the prior episode that we will be starting a financial series. We're going to start that out next week. But this week, you did select a... What's well, sad, but it's an important topic. Yep, and timely. So the article is about an upcoming execution of a woman in Indiana. And her execution date is the 12th, which is one week, or roughly a week from now. So the article we're going to dig into is from The Guardian. It's called A Lifetime of Torture, The Story of the Woman Trump is Rushing to Execute. And, you know, we've talked the before the whole premise of or one of the, the tenets of this podcast is we want to try to avoid politicis, politicis, politicization of being, we want to be bipartisan because we want to meet people, listeners where they are. But there are times when you have to go into politics because they deal with human rights issues. So this calls out Trump for some of his cruel actions because they are what they are when they come down to being human beings. When I read this article, we'll get into it a little more. It can't help but be being a little political on this topic, especially because executions are kind of a political statement. So Democrats tend to not go forward with executions. Republicans tend to enforce them. Here in Missouri, uh, we have a Republican governor Mm-hmm. And we've had a lot of executions where we had kind of a hiatus under uh, prior leadership. Mm-hmm. So you do see that. So it is a political topic. It is. Now, If we're, we're going to talk about a particular story here of a woman named Lisa Montgomery. And before we go further, I'm going to pause to say there is there should be a trigger warning in this episode because we are going to talk about some grisly topics, including sexual abuse, violence, and death. So if that's something that somebody listening, that might be something you would find is not healthy for you, then you may not want to listen to this episode. Yeah, so going into the story, so Lisa Montgomery is in federal prison in Indiana after being sentenced in 2007, I believe it was, for the murder of a woman in, I think it's Sycamore, Missouri. Skidmore, Missouri. Skidmore, Missouri, yeah. And... The short story of it is she went to this woman's house who she knew. The woman was eight months pregnant. She was convicted of killing the woman by strangling her with a rope and then cutting out the eight-month-old fetus Mm -hmm. and carrying it around and saying it was her baby. Yeah. Clearly, when you even just hear that, you can tell there's got to be some mental issues. Something's going on with this lady to do that. What is also interesting, though, is she is, I think, the first woman who's to be executed in like... It's been a long time, 70 right? years under yeah. a federal execution. Under a federal yeah. execution. So to me, getting into the politics of that, just reading what her conviction was, that's probably all Trump cared to hear about when he wanted to rush this forward because then he can say he's defending the unborn. Mm-hmm. You know, he hasn't done a whole lot on that agenda. Yeah. But this is something because he doesn't care about her life where he can say, this woman's terrible. She killed an unborn baby by killing the mother. So it's a heinous and unforgivable act. Absolutely. Do you remember hearing about the story when it happened? No, I'd never heard of this. 
this sounds like something you would see in some crazy B movie, you know, some crazy movie plot. I was actually more surprised that this is the first one in 70 years. Oh, of the executions? Of the executions, but her, what she did, it's crazy, and I don't remember hearing about it before, but it's, you know, it sounds like something out of a movie. It does. So it happened in 2004, and the woman who was murdered is Bobby Jostin. And this is where it's, it's just sad all around because you feel for her family who have been through this horrific experience. We should say the, the fetus, the baby, did live and was is cared for by... Oh, I didn't know parents. that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know where the story stands of as of now today, but that's that's what happened immediately following the aftermath. So Skidmore, Missouri. I remember hearing of it a long time ago and being shocked by it, but it's been a long time since I thought of it. And I never knew the backstory until recently. I actually only really knew about it because one of the accounts I follow on Instagram is the NWIRC. It's the National Indig- Indigenous Women's Resource Center. And they're coming together with this call for clemency for Lisa Montgomery, the murderer. We, you know, she is a murderer. There's no way around that. She did commit an absolutely heinous crime. I don't think anybody's disputing that, but they're calling for clemency and looking at her as in the social work realm, what we would say person in environment. So that's pie, person in environment. So it says a person most of the time, they're well, always their actions, their behaviors, they come from somewhere. And we're going to get into that here about what in the world contributed to this total detachment of this absolutely horrible crime. So anyway, I, will, I will say, I don't want to go into all the details no, of her no, past. No. So let's more stay on the, the light side of it. Cause it, it, it goes into a lot of stuff in the story where you can read those if you want more, but I think it is, um, it's a bit graphic. Oh, it's absolutely graphic. And to clarify, no, we're not going to go through exactly what happened to in the in the murder at all because the the article we linked, I'm talking about her her background. I think it's important to hit on the bullet points. The bullet points, yes. Absolutely. So the bullet points are and this is where I got drawn into the story is again from NIWRC in their call for clemency. They highlighted these bullet points, which is who Lisa Montgomery is a victim of the following things, child sex trafficking, gang rape, incest, and domestic violence. This started when she was three years old. She was 36 years old when she committed this crime. And like you said, horrific, continual graphic things that contributed to this woman's situation, who she is now. And along that course, so beginning at three wasn't direct on her but it was on her sister and a lot of the the abuse was carried out at the behest of her family her parents and the abuse was brought to light by to a doctor when Mm -hmm. she was a child the doctor did nothing the abuse was brought to light when her parents were going through a divorce the attorney did nothing even though the attorney says in this article that it's horrible and something should be done he does nothing so this long history of abuse her whole life growing up, the the fail-safes, not even fail-safes, but the people who should have stepped in, no one even did anything. And she was in growing up in rural Oklahoma. There were no resources, and she obviously didn't know about any because one of the things they talk about in the story is her parents didn't let her speak. They would duct tape her mouth. They would do all these things to contain her and not let her have any semblance of 
knowing what the outside world was so she could never get resources. And then at some point, of course, she's been abused so much she's never going to seek those resources. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There was, um, like you said, there were there were people, so many people along the way who could have helped but didn't. They made, which makes it worse, I think. Longer term, as she got older, doctors, psychologists, social workers all agree that she's a victim of prolonged trauma, of torture. And that does something to somebody. If you combined combine mental illness plus massive childhood trauma, that's what one of the descriptions was, then this is a recipe for somebody who has severe issues like Lisa does. And I think the, that... Go ahead. The uh, social workers that they mentioned in the story compare it to like Vietnam captives and things like this, like things that people would be like, oh yeah, that's got to be horrible. That's what they compared her trauma to. Absolutely. Yeah, that's... A, yeah, good. Uh, not good, but <laughs> I'm glad that you gave that example. It makes me think of... Because this was a pretty long article. And there was there's a lot wrapped up in it. So one of the descriptions around that with the POW, not being graphic, but one of the descriptions is when she was a child, her, I believe it was her stepfather, he carved like a hole where he could look into her room and she found that there was this one tiny corner where if she curled up, he couldn't see her. And she would spend hours and hours doing this. So she could have, that was her privacy. And that's where they compared or one of the comparisons of what it was like being a prisoner of war. Mm -hmm. So she has clearly not been set up to have any semblance of, of a normal life, even though the murder is heinous. And I do think she needs to spend her life in an institution of some sort. Putting her to death is making her a victim all over again. Mm-hmm. Once somebody described it as like, she's not the worst of the worst. She's the most broken of the most broken. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the cruelty from the f- m- most senior level federal position is is being displayed right now in this case. Well, to go a little bit political, the party that's usually in favor of reducing services and letting people pull themselves by their own bootstraps Mm -hmm. as the Republican Party. Democrats tend to favor social services and different resources like that. These communities that she's lived in, rural Oklahoma, those communities that tend to lean Republican. What stands out to me is you hear about these kind of crazy cases of people, and they happen everywhere, but locking their children into rooms and the neighbors and the whole city knowing about what's going on and no one doing anything. You hear a lot of those in rural towns where the populations are obviously much smaller. So if it's happening a lot rural, it seems that there's a higher percentage just because I think people get feel like they get away with it. Anyways, get back to the point. I don't think, you know, you get conditioned to vote along party lines in these mm-hmm. small towns. And it's not to your benefit. This whole town, clearly all the people involved in this cycle of abuse probably had things that happened to them. There's yes. something that happened to this community and her mother and her father who made them think that this was okay. These are the people who could use more social programs, but they're going to vote against the party that might give them to them. I find that interesting. Mm -hmm. Just as a cycle of continuing the issue because a very small portion of the the policies that a party stands for, you think those are more important than all the other things they could be doing to improve your life that are not as obviously apparent. Yes. But 
it is very sad that she's being used as a pawn and an example to be executed. There are clearly more heinous people out there and more people who did it, did their crimes vindictively and with premeditation. I don't think this was premeditated. And even if it was, it only takes a decent attorney, hopefully, to present her case to a jury that she does not get sentenced to death, yeah, to a death penalty. One of the things in the article. She didn't get a decent attorney. She didn't get a decent attorney. Her attorney, uh, one, it was his first, so she had two. One, it was his first capital case. And the other one has an ominous record of having the most of his clients sentenced to capital uh, sentences, like four out of seven. Four out of seven in Missouri. Yeah. And that's abysmal. Yes. (laughs) They basically didn't even try to present a defense for her. They were just doing their job and getting paid. Yeah. It's the whole story. It's just... It's sad. I know I'm crying. It just makes me so sad because it's such a letdown on this life and her community and like where she grew up and communities like it where you talked about multi-generational trauma and how the, I think the cognitive dissonance because we hear about this pro-life, pro-life. Her life is being snuffed out because she's not being looked at as a whole human. She's being looked at as a political check in the box to say, look what we did to, to in really, really in retaliation of this life being snuffed out also in a heinous way. And going back a little bit on what you said there, it's not that her life, I mean, her life was ended from a young age. She yeah. never had a chance. She didn't. And that... You know, it's partially political. You've seen the government scale back on, not that it applies to this case specifically, but of mental rehabilitation centers. They're basically a thing of the past. The government really doesn't fund any federal level, even state level ones in most places. Almost all of it's done by private nonprofits. That's because the government's kind of hands off of that. And this is a case where I don't think it would have helped her family Yeah. in her situation. But those resources are just being slowly stripped away. And she was never given a chance. And this kind of is an example of where my view on capital punishment has started to shift over the years. Mm-hmm. I know you have always been against it. Yes. Your whole life. We both went to a Bible college. And before Bible college, I was like, okay, makes sense to me. Capital punishment is fine. Bible college in a lot of ways actually reinforced that capital punishment was biblical and it's fine. Well, you know. Let's pause there. I want to ask you, what made you... What made you think it was fine initially? Sure. For me initially, growing up, I viewed that some prisoners are not reformable. They will, they murdered, you know, a family and it was a very heinous crime and premeditated. What's to prevent them from doing that again? And also, what's the point of having someone in jail for 70 years and not having a life? It's like, well, it makes sense Mm -hmm. in some regards. Then in, Bible college, you know, capital punishment is biblical. It's kind of a thing. So I was like, okay, I guess it doesn't, isn't abhorrent to my beliefs. And no one's really saying like, got to get away from this in the church. But then it was whenever we, we kind of stepped away from the Bible college and we started looking more at, um, I guess, what does it mean to actually do good? Mm-hmm. Be the way I put it. Just the American way. We view our prison system as it's this system, this is how it works, that's all there is. 
totally wrong. Yes. Uh, one of the things that also, and this is very recent, shaped my kind of view on all this. Uh, it was I can't remember the name of the documentary, but it was a documentary about Norway and Sweden's prison systems yep. and how insanely different they are than us and how much more effective they are. Let's talk a little bit about that. I, I can't give it specific examples. You, the guy who went swimming? Well, yeah, I can <laughs> give that example, but I don't know all the ins and outs of their prison yeah. system because I only watched a clip of it. But the one part I remember is a guy who, he was convicted of some crime, but his his prison sentence, he got to leave prison and he came back during the day to check himself in. So he would, on his way to jail in the morning to check himself in for jail, he would stop at the lake outside the prison, go for a swim, and then he would go into jail, do his hours, almost like a job at jail, and then leave. Mm -hmm. And then even for their people who are convicted of murder, they will be out eventually. Like one guy was attending classes, even though he's convicted murderer and learning to code and starting his own business, which is exactly what a lot of prisoners need. They don't, it's not that they're murderers and that's all they are. It's that they committed a murder mm -hmm. and they're giving them opportunities to achieve things in life, which would mean which they no longer need to murder. Rehabilitation. Exactly. Yes. So their recidivism, what's, how do you say that word? Recidivism. Yeah. So yeah. their rates are 72 per 10,000 people wow. in Norway. Wow. Versus the US is like 365 or yeah. something like that. Way more effective. Looking at the way their prison cells look, make the prison cells of the US look so barbaric. And it's no wonder people, they're made to feel inhumane. Yes. So why are they going to come out and be humane? And it's it's not rehabilitation. It's set up to get people back in to be a cycle. Yeah, that's that's a whole other topic. Yes. Yes, yes, you're right. <laughs> but yeah, these different kinds of things shaped my view that no capital punishment is excessive, unwarranted, but our programs that we have currently are also excessive and unwarranted and incorrect, outdated. Mm -hmm. They're barbaric. They're something from the 17th, you know, 1700s. Yep. They're not something for the 21st century. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's I love hearing your t your evolution in this as well. Cuz you're a critical thinker and I know that for you to change a stance on something, that's something that I value about you because I know you don't do it lightly and I know that people just tend to not make big changes in stances like that over time. There are a couple things that for for Lisa, it's tragic. There's no better word I there's no better word that I can come up with for it. There is it's not likely, but it's possible that she could still get clemency. So we're going to put some resources into our show notes about how you can people, you know, listeners can help with that and make their voices heard and more on a more macro, higher level, bigger picture look, executions are declining overall. Mm -hmm. And President-elect Biden has said that he would like to end federal executions. So this is where we are in Lisa's story. And we wanted to share a little bit of her story because she's not the only one in prison like this. It's very true. Hopefully, for anyone out there listening, gives you something to think about on how you view capital punishment. But that's all I had on the topic. It's a terrible story. I'm glad you brought it up, though, because it presented a lot of information that I hadn't thought about. And this specific, or this specific case is extremely enlightening this woman's being made an example of when no one did their job. 
And those are not original or these are not unique stories. No, no. I don't even want to call it a silver lining because there is no silver lining to Lisa's story or life. I will use it because I can't think of a better term. I think the silver lining is there is more understanding of how barbaric the execution system is now than there was in 2004 and in mental health issues, progress in looking at people as whole people. That gives me some hope that we won't see as many of these stories in the future, but I think it's an incredibly long path to get there. I agree. Well, that's going to do it for this week. This was episode 17 of Taking Social Stock. If you have any questions, comments, you can email us at takingsocialstock at gmail.com. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. 